welcome to this episode of the Zest Wellness Podcast. Our Zest Wellness team works hard to bring you the most insightful podcast known to man. But also, have you heard about our Wellness in the Park events? Check your respective jurisdiction for Wellness in the Park events because you might be doing yoga on a nice sunny day. On this episode, we spoke with Mr. Naval Miller about financial wellness. You'll hear us talk about lifestyle management and, and some high-level tips. You'll hear us talk about investing, retirement strategies, buying a house, and also a virtual balance sheet walkthrough. If you're someone who's brand new to being mindful of your financial wellness, this episode is for you. What also inspired this podcast episode are our healthy habits within Virgin Pulse. Specifically, our healthy habits related to managing our finances. If you want to start becoming more mindful when it comes to budgeting, never forget about our Virgin Pulse healthy habits through the Zest Wellness platform. And now, here is the episode. Welcome to this episode of the Zest Wellness Podcast. Our guest today is Naval Miller, team member of Zest Wellness from the Bahamas. And what he is here to chat with us about is financial wellness. Why does this matter to us? Because we want to empower ourselves with these financial tools that he's going to share. Because we all know that sometimes we get stressed when we think about financial uncertainty. So, Naval, welcome to the Zest Wellness Podcast. Hey, Nate. Thanks for having me on, man. Our pleasure, Naval. I think at this point we had to have you on. So, I'll just give you some quick statistics about why it's so amazing that you're on. And that is because, actually, while individuals are at work, these individuals can spend up to 13 hours worrying about financial matters. So, the average employee is having 13 hours of worrying about financial health even just while they're at work very hard to be engaged when you're worrying about your finances and secondly even 50 percent of u.s employees would find a 400 dollars you know unforeseen expense as something that would give, be a major setback in their life so naval we need to do something about these statistics yeah we need to do something the main thing of them being to work in the first place is because of our liabilities, right? So stuff they expenses they incur, um, overhead expenses, living expenses, and a whole some of the reasons why uh, people work. You know, they they're not working because um, they love their job. Is more so about financial restraints um, and reasons why they're so you know flustered of how I'm gonna make ends meet, how I'm gonna meet this budget, and those sorts. Of course. Now to get started, Navelle. It'd be very nice for you just to give us right off the bat some five tips that we can have for budgeting because we know what's 
managed is measured. And sometimes what's measured is managed. It almost goes vice versa. And so do you mind offering us at least five tips on kind of our overall life from a high level, how we can support our own financial well-being? Uh, sure, man, Nate. Uh, what we got to realize first, uh, in any income, we uh, don't try to pay attention too much to the gross pay. And when I say gross pay, that means um, your, ta- your pay or your income pre-tax, right? So we want to put in retrospect that is many company and in many countries you have a form of tax. You have at least a, like a national health insurance tax. In the Bahamas here, we have something called a national insurance board tax, which goes towards like your pension, um, other healthcare benefits as well. So we want to be concerned about our income post-tax, right? Because that's the, that's the tax you're going. To, that's the income you're going to be working with. So I have five suggestions for budgeting a household. Um, and firstly, I like to start off with emergency fund. Now, in the Bahamas, I could bring a relation here is that we have a lot of um, hurricanes, right? So during living in a tropic in, the, in a tropical climate, a lot of summer times we have a lot of hurricanes. In some parts of the world, they might have um, cat- catastrophes like tornadoes, uh, stuff and sorts like that. So we want to have and and within our income, save for emergency funds. And we want to make this as liquid as possible. You want to make your emergency fund something that you could go in case of emergency. Obviously, it's the name. You could go and you could get that fund real quick. Um, For example, in the Bahamas, we had a catastrophic hurricane two years ago. And it was baffling to me to find out a lot of Bahamian people or people in the Caribbean as a whole did not save enough for catastrophic events that happen on an annual basis, such as a hurricane, right? So I would suggest that each household actually set up an emergency fund. It's really, really important. Like I said, I recommend it to be as liquid as possible. When I said liquid, I mean it's able to retrieve its cash, either it's cash which you have on you already, or it's cash that you could access from the bank in, in, any, in any case of any emergency, really, all right? Um, your emergency fund should be able, at the, end of the, at the end of the year, when you, you account for it, it should be an expense tool that, that could last maybe up to eight months. And when I said emergency as well, I just don't want to leave it towards catastrophic events. If uh, 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 foreseen circumstances, as in um, you or your, your wife or anybody in your household got laid off, this is something that you could actually rely on and fall back on because you set up an emergency fund. So it's really, really essential to have that, right? Because you don't know how the economy is going to turn and you not, don't know how you're going to be affected. So emergency fund is really, really important. And also you have a housing fund, right? So I set up for me personally, I have a housing account. And my housing account covers a lot of the repairs and maintenance for my house or even um, uh, budgeted items. Say, for instance, after a certain period of time living in in your home, you might have you might incur some type of renovations or some type of equity you want to add to your home. So I, I love to keep that in perspective as well. Um, housing fund is really, really essential. Um, you'll find out that saving for maintenance costs like that, um, such as maybe roof repairs, uh, cabinet repairs, stuff like that. It's so it's so easy to, to, to accomplish those tasks by setting up a savings for it, right? Um, also, last but not, I mean, sorry, not last but not least, but one of the main other, other parts is savings. And this is a savings, it's saving for yourself. It's almost like you're paying yourself. So within your income you receive on a monthly basis, I'd recommend as well to pay yourself 
separate from your the money you're putting allotting for housing, the money you're allotting for emergency fund. This is a different type of saving. You're saving for yourself. So you're almost, quote unquote, paying yourself. So, for example, if you're, you're making maybe between $25,000 and $3,000 a month, I would allocate based on your, your lifestyle, allocate a definite percentage each month to save for yourself uh, where you could actually enjoy the luxuries of life. Because everybody works really, really hard and is so concerned about paying this bill or saving for this fund. Um, it's, it's really, really essential, even in, for, in, a, in a holistic approach to wellness, for your well-being, it's really, really beneficial to save for yourself. And it's also going to be savings that could go towards maybe a family vacation. Maybe you saw um, some kind of tangible asset, like a, like a shoe you want to purchase for yourself, or you just want to take care of yourself. So it's really, really important. And while I was worrying about um, accomplishing stuff like emergency fund and household funds, it's saving for yourself. Um, also very, very important. And I, I don't know if every company does have this, but healthcare is really, really essential. Um, if, for example, in my country, we have more than 50% of our population is not, uh, doesn't, is not covered by health insurance. So they'll have to go, those people will have to go and seek, um, type of companies would offer this type of service. And it's really, really essential. You cannot nickel and dime healthcare. Healthcare is very, very essential to you. Some companies provide that benefit for their staff members, but if you don't have it, it's something that you should have allocated in your income, something that you should be saving towards or something that you, you, you already have and you're maintaining that. That is very, very essential because uh, you could have situations come up that um, you're, you maybe have a, a, a non-communicable disease, such as maybe, uh, I don't want to go too catastrophic, but something as... Um, uh, diabetes or something that you need to get checked up on and you have access to this healthcare plan, which is very essential, right? Um, also, food and groceries. I'm going to add this one as well. Now, food and groceries should cover up to approximately 10 to 15% of your income. Now, this is not food that you're going to be taking out. It's more so food you're going to be buying from the grocery stores. And a lot of us don't um, allocate for that as well. So in the monthly expenses of things, a lot of people really are, are amazed at how much money they do spend um, on food. So it's good to account for that as well, to say that, you know, I'm going to allot 15 to 10% of my salary on a monthly basis or on a weekly basis based on your lifestyle and your income, that I'm going to allot that for food. So all this stuff in the grand scheme of things is, is related to accounting. It's basically accounting your, pro your income um, or for your, to fit your lifestyle, right? Love it, Navelle. And when we are kind of going specific and even budgeting for groceries, would you maybe recommend, and is there a difference between budgeting uh, for a week instead of a month? Is that something that might uh, be, a, uh, be a factor for individuals? Oh, well, it's based on your lifestyle. So I would say that if you go to the grocery store bi-weekly, I would say budget for the month. But if you do visit a grocery store like I do, I visit a grocery store almost on a weekly basis. So I budget per week. Now, Budgeting per week, it can get quite strenuous because you, you incur a lot of inflation costs. Like, say, for instance, you spend um, $70, oh, sorry, in the Bahamas, you spend $100 one week, and then the next week you maybe spend maybe 110 So you, you, you create an avenue for yourself, like I said, 10 to 15%. So I'll try to run it off the absolute figure, maybe a, a threshold I would not like to, would, would not want to go over. Because you, you could budget and say, you know, I'm going to budget for $100 and 
and exactly spend $100. But inflation does cause some rates to rise. So I'll say, you know, let's round it off. Let's, let's, let's uh, account for unexpectancies. Let's account for stuff like, you know, I might be interested on this meal from Sapongo, uh, a healthy recipe. Let me, let me account for that because you never know how I feel. So I normally uh, add at least uh, maybe 20 to $30 based on what my, my savings for grocery is. I'll say meet, uh, tack on an next 20 to $30 for unexpectancies as well. Okay. And you, it sounds like you also brought an amazing point up about paying ourselves first. And so are you recommending that we almost treat paying our, as our, ourselves almost as like an expense and it's something we have to do each month before we even think about paying for luxury items? Well, well, I think that paying for yourself should be the last thing. So sorry, I, I landed in order, but it should be the last thing. Now, based on what you're, you're, um, based on what you're left with after covering all those expenses, your your entertainment or saving for yourself should be at least five percent out of that where you're paying yourself. Okay, so based on you're saving for healthcare. Your, your groceries are already taking out of it, uh, emergency fund, which is really essential, housing, um, then whatever you're left with, take 5% of that, and that is used to pay yourself. Now, it could be between the ratios of 5 to 10%, but I like to lean on the 5% to get maximum satisfaction. So I'll say 5%, and the rest of the funds go uh, uh, into maybe an additional savings or something like that. Okay. Great. And this also transitions nicely to our next topic, which I know you're very knowledgeable about, and that's in terms of building our wealth, which can include right. uh, investing and making sure we're not overspending. So to someone who's completely new to the term of even you know building wealth, maybe what are some do's and don'ts to that beginner that you, you tell them to be very aware of? All right, so for a um, majority of um, persons under the age of 30, especially our, our millennial base, we um, love to enjoy the luxuries of life, right? So we spend money on a lot of unnecessary stuff. So I would avoid spending on stuff that doesn't give you a return on investing. Because so, I think that every time you spend money, it should be an investment, and that's investment in, in quote-unquote satisfaction. Uh, you're receiving satisfaction that's intangible, or something that you're going to invest in maybe to, to gain a profit back. So I would say that you really analyze what you spend on. So you want to avoid buying stuff. Say, for instance, you live, um, you have a, have a TV, but um, you're craving to have a 72-inch TV. You know what I mean? That's actually wasted uh, in a sense because you're already satisfied with a TV, so you're overspending. So I'll say that as a pure don't. Don't overspend on something that is that's not going to give, give you a return on your investment. That's one of the key things for me for don't. Also, I would say uh, save a percentage of your income. I, I, I mentioned that in the first segment on budgeting, but save a percentage of your income. Also, that actually uh, propels you uh, into actually uh, building wealth faster as well. Right. So you want to save a percentage of your income. All That's a do. Also, you want to work hard as well. I know a lot of uh, individuals are really taken aback when I say work hard. If you want to advance your career in any type of um, organization, if you work for an organization or if you're an entrepreneur as well, I would say work hard. The reason being is because it's going to pay the biggest dividend. If you work for somebody, if you work for a company and you work hard, nine times out of ten you're going to get promoted. And what that does is that promotion, promotion increase income, 
which should correlate in increasing your wealth. So I'll say work hard. Oh, that's if you an feel, interesting one. Right. So a lot of people feel that, you know, as I, what, what do you mean by, by working hard? So the time you put in, the extra hours you're putting in into work, exactly later, all right? Because I'm, I'm basing it off a company that actually takes care of their staff. So I know my company does a great job of that. So if you're actually uh, working hard and your managers and your CEOs see that, that's going to pay a great dividend later, all right? So you're increasing income, which will definitely increase wealth. Also, main thing for any young person or people, all persons um, over the age, I would say invest in your education. Education pays the greatest dividend ever. Preach, right? Naval, me, preach. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm studying for my uh, accounting degree, right? So my thing is that um, after I finished my accounting degree, I want to do two additional masters after that. And the reason being is I see the uh, obtaining knowledge to me is intangible wealth right i i'm very knowledgeable about something i could lend resources because i have all this built all this built up uh educational knowledge within me now this could correlate into like i said you correlate into maybe a promotion or this can even correlate to people seeking your advice whereas it's consultations and they say you know what i gotta lean on nate kolar he gives great great consultations let me meet up with him and that increases your wealth as well education pays the biggest, biggest, biggest dividend. All right. Amazing. It, it it's like it it sounds like you know in addition to you know the typical investing into the stock market and that sort of thing, but it sounds like never forget to also invest in yourself. Right. Cause exactly. Because that, that's yourself as your own entity could 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 make more money, whether that be through you know promotions and whatnot. You're you're totally right about that. So it's a nice new perspective that you put on that. Right, because we, we are, I mean, for a lot of times you had a status quo of, oh, yeah, take some money and you, you, you invested in some, some type of uh, like Forex, that's foreign exchange, or you invested in this stock. But all those stuff you're investing in incur a certain amount of risk, a percentage of risk, right? So you're not guaranteed that you're going to get paid your full dividend. Now, in a perfect world, we all wish that we get paid uh, maybe double the percentage we, we invest in. But education, for me, um, is one of the one of the key things that you invest in and you will never lose. You will never lose on that. That's you get a hundred percent payback when investing in your education. And, and now to Navelle to even kind of pause for a second because you know someone listening right now could be could be very new to to investing in their financial wellness. You mentioned two different words. You mentioned the word dividend and you mentioned the word kind of with investments being risky. With, with dividend and the kind of the word risky, do you mind just kind of defining those two terms for our listeners? All right. So with dividends, it's basically the money you receive back from investing. So um, if you invest in a share, right, um, and you get returns back, they actually refer to returns as dividends. Okay. All right. So it's a sum of money paid more so regularly by shareholders based on your investing in it. All right. Okay, that sounds good. And the term, when you say with a, if an investment is risky or not, what, what does that mean if it's a risky investment? Well, you got to, any, in any type of investment, I'm hoping that a lot of people do studies on it and seeing that it's a risk. Now, when I said, quote unquote, risk, it's something that you know you're not too, too unsure of. And if the insurity is greater, um, it's actually an increased risk. All right, so if, say, for instance, for example, 
if um, if I said today I'm going to invest in a particular stock, now that stock I invest in, even it's a common stock, that presents a level of risk. How great the risk is is based on the uncertainty of my of my return. So I I call it it is considered a risk. Okay. Okay. Great. And then even just kind of on, on a personal note for you, kind of the the successes that you've had with your own investing and maybe any any troubles or turbulence that you've been through, do you accredit the success to anything in particular? And then or maybe times where things didn't go so well, did they did they not go well for a certain reason? Any kind of insight like that you can share for the listeners? Sure. Um well at the age of twenty one I invested uh a great deal of funds in a trans- transportation company here in the Bahamas. So in the Bahamas, we have something called uh, the Jitney Service, uh, locally known, uh, but it's bus transportation. So um, in our bus transportation, different from many other countries, um, Bahamian citizens have owned the majority of the stake in that. So um, I had I invested in uh, for t- two buses, two bus uh, service. I mean, two bus, two buses in the uh, transportation system here in the Bahamas. And it, it, the, the amount of money I invested in it, I did not receive back in maybe the first, second, or, or the third year in it. And I actually called it, quote, unquote, belly up, right? You, you refer to the term belly up because it didn't do well. I mean, the whole, co- um, whole company imploded. My liabilities were greater than my retained earnings. So... I pulled out, but the greatest lesson I learned in that was money management. I learned that success does not come overnight, and I learned, well, success doesn't come overnight is related to patience. It's patience, and everything you actually fail in, Nate, to be honest with you, you, you gain the greatest deal of knowledge, right? Because you know what not, yes. not to do and what to do after that. So it was a great deal of um, um, education I received on that side, um, not only with the bus transportation system, but being a business owner and, and, and exploring the entrepreneurial world as a whole. Yes. No, and, and just as a side note, you're, you're totally right. Where to, you know, to, there's only two options in life. You you win or you learn. Exactly. But to, to call exactly. something a failure is, is, is more so a learning opportunity. But, Naval, it, you know, we've, we've kind of touched on this topic. It sounds like even when we are investing, something we should always be aware of and kind of used to our advantage is the ability to be patient, correct? Where maybe right. our, our right. investment it, won't show positive return over six months, but it could after two years. So any thoughts on that? Yeah, definitely. Well, the main thing when you're investing, I, I'm hoping that everybody does their studies on before they invest. So if you're going to invest in a particular stock, if you're going to invest in a particular company, you want to do your research, you want to do your due diligence, right? Before you go ahead and invest. Now, and investing, you also got to p- uh, practice patience based on the market. Now, nothing is going to, or maybe a lot of things are not going to give you a return in a short period of time. Some things take, like you said, six months. Some things take two years based on the market you're investing in. So I would say I would encourage any individual today to practice a lot of patience. Sometimes when you that sometimes when you actually pull out or you get discouraged and say you don't want to do it no more, is that does that's the point when you're on the brink of success in that in that industry. I, I saw that happen to a lot of my friends, even myself. Even when you you know, and right at the nick of time, and you're feeling the burn, it's like you know what, I'm 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 done with this. I'm getting ready to pull out, and then boom, it was right around the corner. The success, the returns, was right around the corner. So I really recommend practicing patience. 
Okay, but at the same time, Naval, when we talk about our, our next topic that's kind of related to patience, maybe maybe patience might not be so easy when we talk about retirement <laughs> strategies. Right, right, right. Just so, for, from, from, a high, from a high level for our listeners, what, are your, what is your insight on retirement strategies? It's something that, uh, you know, I think we're, we all have in common. It's going to happen eventually, right? I hope so. Right, right. it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen eventually, all of us, right? So what I would recommend for anybody who's actually approaching retirement, your strategy should be saving aggressively and investing conservatively. Um, the main the reason for that is that at a certain period, like the lifespan of your, your work life, you want to be really, really cautious of what you're investing in. Because based on your investment, if it's not education, obviously, but it, based on your investing, and I'm talking about stocks, it takes on, like I said, risk. Now, when you're approaching retirement, you want to really analyze what type of risk you're, you're taking on, right? But you also want to be very cautious on how much money you're saving. So for young adults, I recommend you can invest aggressively and you could save aggressively. It's recommended for young, adult, young adults to save aggressively and invest aggressively. For people who are uh, approaching retirement, I would say you could save aggressively, but you can invest conservatively. Really be cautious on your investing because you're approaching that retirement age you don't know your lifespan after retirement. So in the Bahamas today, we have, um, after, when you approach the age of 65, you're approaching tar- retirement age. Majority of the people here in the Bahamas retire at the age of 65. Um, and a lot of times when you work for a company for a duration of time, they give you a lump sum payout. So you get a lump sum payout uh, based on your contribution uh, during your work life. You get uh, a pension plan from our national, in- I mean, our national insurance board, right, which, which gives you uh, monthly payout, um, which is not is not not great, is not really attractive that much. But we want to be really really cautious on how we spend that lump sum of money because I've been I've seen many um, uh, retirees got maybe six figures as a payout, and in the, in the first five years all of it is gone, and uh, then it's like not good news. What to do next? It's not good news, right? Because at that time you're not marketable anymore to work a certain I mean it's work work any type of jobs. Um, and it's, it's going to be really strenuous and it's, it's going to put a wear and tear on you because at that time of retirement, you're supposed to be enjoying life. You're supposed to be enjoying the luxuries of life because you work really, really hard, right? So we definitely want to save aggressively and really, really um, 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 uh, invest conservatively. Also, I would actually recommend for any retiree approaching um, the retirement age or is getting ready to retire to seek financial advice from maybe a certified financial planner or a certified financial advisor to ask the do's and don'ts while I'm on retirement. Because I found that a lot of people spend more money being at home. When you're at home, you're spending money for lunch, you're spending money for, 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 for um, three-course meals a day, you just put it like that. You also want to enjoy some type of vacation. You go on a cruise. You feel like you have that liquid, and it's, it's a lump sum of liquid, and you're, you're eager to, to, to enjoy life and spend it so lavishly. But we really want to stay cautious on how we spend this money because we want this money to last um, for, for the rest of our life, to be quite frankly, right? And, Navelle, when you brought up financial advisors, to someone, once again, new to you know, thinking about their financial <laughs> wellness, where do they even go to find a financial advisor? Well, um, you could find financial advisors today. They are actually independent. They have a lot of financial 
consultants, they call themselves, or they call themselves financial planners as well. Um, they, they are read online. You can maybe search one up. You could, you could actually see the rating of that person. And maybe even a testimonials of people who have dealt with that person as well. Or you could see companies like here in the Bahamas, we have financial planners and, and advisors who work in various banks, uh, offshore banks, uh, commercial banks. You also have some of them work at investment companies. And you're starting to have a lot of them expose themselves as an independent um, entity where they're giving consulting work um, to, to, to anybody who needs it. Um, you can also search like the LinkedIn app. They have people there who actually um, who leave their contact information there. They show you where they study it at and stuff like that. So it's, it's many um, type of avenues you can actually search these people. And it, it's amazing in, in the Bahamas today, we have so many uh, certified financial planners popping up. So I'll say, you know what, go ahead and seek their advice and know how to plan um, for the longevity of life, for, for the rest of your lifespan. Because the, 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 the most hurtful thing is that you worked so long and then you receive this lump sum and it's all blown away in, you know, in five, six years. And it's, it's almost like it's, 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 it's really, really troubling. Yes. You know, I can, you can just imagine when someone gives you that lump sum and you just probably, you want to probably buy, you know, that, that really expensive car you've wanted your whole life <laughs> right, at that right. point. But it definitely sounds like it takes some, some self-control to, to really plan things out and, and not kind of go down that rabbit hole. Right. You don't want to go down the rabbit hole because it's going to be really, really hard uh, to pull yourself out. Not saying it's not impo it's impossible, but it's going to be really, really strenuous. And like I said, retirement age and being in retirement is it's, it's your joys in life. You want to enjoy the stuff you didn't have a chance to enjoy while working a, maybe a nine to five job and stuff like that. You want to you want you want to spend some time with the family. You want to do some stuff that is going to be really relaxing, you know? Yes. And even on another note, something extremely relevant to us is even just buying a house right and that's something that we need to think about you know much before retirement and then something that's almost yeah i guess a house could be a luxury but it also it is at the bottom line it is a need so right. in terms of advice for you know if someone were to say Navelle, right now buying a house give me some advice share the magic with me what would you say to them all right. So if you're if you're interested in buying a house, um, each bank. Or I, I don't know if you're going to or if you have the the liquid cash to go ahead and buy the house flat out cash. I, I wish I were you. But um, if you're buying a house, I would recommend that whatever um, company you're seeking financing from, pay more than the actual down payment. Um, a lot of banks, uh, a lot of financial institutions, I should say, are actually request for a certain percentage down. And order to satisfy um, the the lending uh, amount, right? So, say for instance, they might ask if you're trying to borrow four hundred thousand dollars. They say, you know what? Give me ten percent, or give me five percent, and then you go ahead and you, you see what your loan payments are and stuff like that. So, I would say that you save enough money to actually pay more than the down payment. The reason being is this is going to correlate into a lower uh, monthly total monthly payment. Because your total monthly payment is made up of two factors. It's made up of the loan's principal, which is actually the money, uh, the money owed, and it's made up of the interest, right? So what you want to do is you want to pay so much down. So say, for instance, they ask for 5% of $400,000, and you say, you know what? I'm going to go and pay maybe 10%. It sounds aggressively. It takes a lot of sacrifice to, to pay the additional 5%, but it's going to pay. It's going to, it's going to be worth it way in the end, right? So we pay 10%. Now, what happens is instead of borrowing 
um, the five percent for the forty for the four hundred thousand dollars is what is eight thousand dollars, just roughly. I think no four. It's some figure like that. Let's let's look at that. Let's look at that. One second. We have to be precise. We have to be precise, right? All right. So if they say, you know what, four hundred thousand dollars, you're trying to take a loan out for that, and the twenty five percent of that is actually twenty thousand dollars. So what you'll do is you end up borrowing a total of $380,000 from the bank. And this is where the reflection of the loan principal and loan interest is going to reflect the $380,000. But if I go ahead and I say, you know what, instead of paying 5%, let me pay a little bit more. If I have the liquid, let me go pay 10% of that, which is $40,000. Um, you're actually only going to borrow $360,000. So you owe the bank less money. And basically, your loan payments are going to be much lower. So like I said, your loan payment is made up of uh, a loan principal and a loan interest. For my strategy, after you already uh, borrowed money from the bank, you're living in your home, you're making your money payments, I would say, although you're going to be paying your interest rate to pay down your loan, I will go ahead and still make an additional payment on the principal. And here's why. The loan interest is only a reflection of what the principal is. So if your loan interest is um, 4% they ask for per month, that's 4% of what's, what's ever owed, right? So what we want to do is we want to cut down on what we owe. So say, for instance, I want to, I, although I pay this 5% on a monthly basis, I go ahead and still pay something on the principal because, like I said, the 5% is only going to be a reflection of whatever the principal is. So I, I give that strategy to a lot, especially a lot of young individuals who are thinking about investing in homes. And the second thing as well, you have the Airbnb uh, scenario here in, uh, around the globe, right? I would say if, it, if you see fit, take advantage of that opportunity as well. I see a lot of people now turning their homes into income properties. They actually, instead of like building an apartment or a condo, they actually turn their home it's itself into income property. And if you and your household do agree with that, I think it's the next opportunity as well, whereas you maybe could take the funds earned from the Airbnb segment and invest it back to your mortgage as well. Navelle, that was such powerful insight. You were, you were just, it sounded like you were in the zone just now. And hopefully our listeners really took that in because you're right. Uh, in terms of zoning in on, you know, on your principal and, and really thinking about almost you know, side hustles like Airbnb, these are, these are, right. these are tactics that can seriously change someone's life and, and therefore their health as well. Right, exactly. Because uh, like I said, I, I, I come across people on an everyday basis, and not only the Bahamas, and I ask them, like, what is one of your main concerns in life? And obviously it's health, right? Everybody wants a healthy lifestyle. But every time, the second aspect is managing my finances, how I'm going to manage my finances. I, I don't have the, the wherewithal I can give you all the answers, but I can give you some strategies I've been exposed to. And I think that what can be used today um, but a lot of young individuals and even uh, people uh, at a mature age as well, whereas they could use some of these tactics and to take the burden of, uh, of trying to find out how I'm going to manage my finances, decrease that burden to a minimal as possible. Yes, yes. Thank right. you, Navelle. For our final conversation topic, something that we can apply to our, to our lives and something that's kind of made popular in the business world as you know, is the term of a balance sheet. But if you if you were right. t if you were chatting with someone right now, Navelle, and let's say our listeners, they had a a table in front of them, they had a piece of paper, they had a pencil, 
and we're going to kind of draw out a balance sheet to help out with their with their planning and their and their their budgeting. How would you walk them through what this balance sheet looks like? How can they draw this balance sheet on their piece of paper? Oh, I'm going to draw this for you so perfectly, right? Because I'm an accident accounting major, so this is my stuff right here. So you're yes, going to start this is why you're our by... guest, Navelle. <laughs> so you're going to start off by um, the first thing. If you have a company or yourself, you're going to give your na- yourself a name. So I'm going to put Nate Kolar. Let's go put the first line should be Nate Kolar. The second line should be balance sheet because you want to know what type of um, what type of, of of information I'm sharing you. So we're going to give it a name. It's actually called balance sheet. The next thing you're going to put is actually is this balance sheet reflector reflection of year end. So so I'll put like year end December. 31st, 2018, or a year beginning, January uh, 1st, 2019. So the date is very, very important because you want to know uh, during all these uh, uh, numbers, you want to know what, what period this is a reflection of. All right. So it's really, really important to figure out the date. All right. So on the right side of it, because I'm closing my eye right now, Nate, and I'm painting this picture for you, right? So on the right side, you have a section called assets. And this is anything that's owned by the company. Now, I mean, or the, or the individual. So in assets, you have two sections. You have something called current assets and you call, and you have something called non-current assets. Current assets is anything that could be turned into liquid. And when I say liquid, it could turn into tangible cash in one year or less. So current assets, your first current assets should always be cash. You know why? Because it's liquid. It's tangible. It's there. It's something that you could take right now and carry uh, straight to the store. Uh, you could satisfy buying a product or service with that cash. Cash is, is they, they say right now, cash rules, right? So cash is your first uh, form of current assets. Your next current assets should be um, if you have accounts receivable. Now, accounts receivable is something that is owed to you. So if when Nate, Nate owes me like $2 million, right? So, <laughs> so if Nate one owes day. me that money one day. So Nate owes me uh, money. What I'll do is I'll put it as a accounts receivable. Reason being, it's my money, but I haven't received it as yet. So I'll, I'm going to account for that. And accounts receivable is more so seen in something called, we call uh, accounts, we call it something called accrual base accounting. That's accounts receivable, accounts payable. I'll get into that, right? So it's accounts receivable. The next thing should be your supplies. If you have supplies, you have inventories, like if you're in a convenience store, if you have canned goods in the convenience store, you have uh, anything, anything in the convenience store you have. You want a coffee shop, you have your coffee there. They are called assets because you know why they're inventory. It's something you own. They could actually turn into cash if I sell it. So like I said, these things go in the order of liquidity when you look at current assets. Anything that could turn into cash in a year or less. So I have cash, I have accounts receivable, I also have inventory. So the next section of assets will be non-current assets, or some people call it long-term assets. A long-term assets are stuff like your land, all right? So that's property, um, equipment, uh, uh, buildings. Um, you want a car, that's, that's called an asset. The reason, I mean, a, a long-term asset or a non-current asset, the reason being is more than likely it's going to take a year or more to turn into liquid. And that's why it's called non-current assets. Non-current assets is anything that's going to take a year or more to turn into liquid. And that's your asset section. So your asset section is on the left side of your, of your, of your balance sheet when you make up your balance sheet. The next side of your balance sheet is liquidities. I mean, sorry, liabilities. Now, liabilities are also made up 
of non-current and current. So you have current liabilities. I have, uh, let's think about something, uh, tax payable or accounts payable. Let's use accounts payable. So accounts payable is anything that I owe, but I am dedicated to pay in a year or less. Reason being, that's why it's called current, right? So I have um, accounts payable. So if I owe Nate in retrospect, I owe Nate a um, couple of dollars, I'll put it in my accounts payable section because it's something I'm dedicated to pay um, in a year or less. Long-term liabilities could be uh, mortgage. If, you're, if, you, if you have a mortgage for your home, that's called long-term or non-current liabilities. That's something that takes a year or more to satisfy. So if you know you got to pay that debtor, uh, it's going to be over a year to pay it. That's called a non-current um, um, liability. Um, you have a car loan. That's called something called a non-current liability as well because it's going to take over a year to pay that. Now, after you already told up your liabilities, right on the liabilities, we're still on the right side, it's called equity. Now, equity is anything that you obtain. So that's our retained earnings from you maybe purchase a stock, right? So remember I spoke about dividends. You return earnings on that. Uh, you made a sale in your store or stuff like that. Or somebody gave you some cash. I just, I just gave um, Nate $1,000. Nate's going to put that in his equity section because it's something that he's earned. This is cash I've given to Nate. So this is added to his, his capital, right? So that is going to go into equity. Now, that kind of equation is based on what you own, what you owe, and your network. Now, when you think about equity, equity is your network. So how we do accounting equations um, is assets minus liabilities equals equity. So assets is anything that you own. Liabilities is anything that you owe. So it's whatever I own minus whatever I owe. So if I own $1,000 and I owe $2,000, my equity or my net worth would be negative $1,000. So that's how it's worked out. Um, that's the current equation and a gist. Um, that's how the balance sheet is going to work out. So on my left side, I'm going to total up all my assets on my balance sheet. Now, listen to the keyword balance. Assets, I'm going to total up my, all my assets, my current assets, my long-term assets, stuff like that, total that up. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to total up my liabilities on the right side of, this, of, of my sheet. And under that as well, I'm going to total up my equities. Now, your total for your assets should always equal to your total of your liabilities and, and equity. So on your left, right side, the total you get from liabilities, you're going to add that with your total of, of equity. And the total you get there should be the same total you get on total assets. And that's why it's called a quote-unquote balance sheet. Navelle, that was, that was amazing. I hope everyone has their 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 balance sheet on, on their piece of paper right now, and even just to emphasize this one part one more time. Can you repeat that oh so important equation you said of assets minus what equals what? All right. So your assets, which is anything that you own, minus liabilities, anything that you owe, equals your equity, which is your net worth. All right. So. That's a key, key equation, right? And I think that a lot of us, you know what is so amazing? A lot of us practice that today, but we just never put a name to it. 
but it's 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 that it's 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 accounting accounting in layman terms, right? So it's assets minus liabilities equals equity. In retrospect, it's what you own minus what you owe equals your net worth or your net profit. We'll call it. So that's what you at the end goal. You're trying to figure out what what am I worth? What what is my worth? Oh, what is this worth? So let me look at what I own. Minus what I owe, and this will tell me what I am at. <laughs> Navelle, do you think that individuals make the mistake of when they when they think about you know how much am I worth? They think about only assets, and they do forget liabilities. Right. You know what? And I I, I really could harp on this account accrual accounting basis, or they call it accrual accounting basis. A lot of us today actually practice um, cash basis accounting in our own personal life. And when I say that is that we don't put in perspective um, how much money people owe us. We don't account for that. The reason being is because we don't have it as yet. And we don't account majority of the times on maybe what we owe people. Um, and we don't account for that as well. So I think a lot of times we do make the mistake of actually looking at our network in a proper sense. And especially I, I want to harp back on the side of assets because we don't really definitely do not account for what people owe us. And I think that doing a proper accounting system for personal life or business, you always got to put in retrospect, what do people owe me as well? That still has to be accounted for, even though you have not received the funds for it. And that's one of the main cardinal sales, um, sins that, that go on in accounting. And then you, you come up with this, uh, this figure, but it's, it's not a right figure because you're not accounting for what people owe you. You know, so that, yeah, <laughs> you put it like that. Okay, Navelle, well, you're certainly giving us valuable insight that literally anyone listening can take advantage of. As we kind of wrap up now, if you were to, in one sentence, kind of sum up financial wellness to someone and, and sum, sum up all your years of knowledge and, and insight into one sentence for someone to, to leave us with, what would that one sentence be? Oh, wow. Nate, you put me in the spot. And I don't have years of experience of this. I have, I'm still in the context of him, right? So um, f- financial advice I'll give anybody, uh, and I, I really want to harp on this, is that investing, and I, I can't say it enough, investing in your education is the only thing I have ever researched in my life, and I saw that you do not lose at all. And that could be at any age. I think that a lot of people put a limitation on themselves when they hit a certain age that, you know what, I'm not going to think about education. I'm not going. And, it's, and I'm, when I say, when I refer to the word education, I'm not referring to the word education in, in perspective of going to college sometimes. I'm talking about maybe you could even uh, go on YouTube. You seek knowledge. You seek knowledge about anything you're interested in, right? And I think that obtaining any form of any education in any principle is essential. Um, me obtaining this knowledge today right here, I could, I could, you know, give, give, give some sort of advice and I hope it does help. And this is because I've made the sacrifice to obtain, um, some form of level of education. So I would, I would, I would recommend anybody, um, today, young, old, uh, to invest. And if you could invest in anything is investing in education because you know why it's going to pay the greatest and the biggest dividend ever. It's interesting. Someone once told me that, you know, almost a, a key to life is to realize that education is not confined to just the walls of a school. And like you right. said, how it's simply going on YouTube 
you know, someone can self-educate themselves that way as well. Right, right, exactly, exactly. And you know what? Um, for me, I try to drop device stuff in three categories, and it's it's. I, I hope it works for some people. I look for something I could make money from. I look for something I love and enjoy, and I look for something that keeps me creative. And I think those three essentials are are, are great when you're looking at a career building or even even um, 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 looking at obtaining extra funds, right? Warren Buffett said the greatest, you could never live off of one form of income, right? That's what Warren Buffett said. Um, so I, I would say stick with those three things. You find something that you, that you can make some money from, harp on something that you love, and also put in perspective something that's going to always keep you creative. Love it, Navelle. And on that note, on behalf of all of our listeners, we, we know how much our, our finances matter you know, for when we think about our stress in our lives. And you certainly gave us a number of practical tips. So, Navelle, thank you, thank you, thank you. All right. Thank you, Nate. Thanks for having me, man. Was that ever a great interview with Navelle? You can see how passionate he is about our financial well-being because he knows firsthand how important it is for our finances to be balanced so that we're not having that stress at the back of our minds. We chatted about everything from lifestyle management to investing to retirement strategies to buying a house and even a full walkthrough of a virtual balance sheet. Naval really put things into perspective for us. Mm-hmm.